So Richard texted me when he was watching Insurrection and said that he was going to stop watching it and finish watching it at a later point. At which point I got very nervous about his reaction to Star Trek Insurrection. <laughs> you knew exactly what my... <laughs> um, this wasn't an awful episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. I'm not sure why they call it a movie, but... um, Yeah, it wasn't bad, but I think in so many ways... This is all going to be underpinned by the fact that I just finished DS9, and I think DS9 treated a lot of these themes much better. Yeah. In other ways, I I think my my general final word on the movie is that it's hampered in, in certain ways by being a next generation movie. In other words... There is a lot that be could make this movie could be better if they more strongly tied it into the Dominion arc, which I, you know, I can talk about specifically what I mean about that. But because this is a next gen movie, and the they can't assume that anybody who is watching this knows anything about the Dominion or what's going on on DS Nine. Like I can see an earlier draft of this movie, which made more references to the to the Dominion and who exactly the Sonar were and you know, things like that. Yeah, and saying, okay, well, the audience isn't going to get this. We have to end that, getting written out. Yeah, that's I th- and that's I think why the movie feels a little weak to me because I don't buy the Federation's role in this at all. You know, you you say people said about DS Nine, you know, oh, this muddies the Federation. Section Thirty One, you know, goes against the idea of the Federation, but. I can justify Section 31's things. I don't can't justify the Federation's actions in this movie. And I think a little more explanation using the Dominion would make it make a lot more sense. That was, I think, my biggest problem with the movie. So I kind of agree with that and, and disagree with it. I think that, you know, you might be interested to find out that one of the major criticisms of insurrection, especially by people that were instrumental in making it, yeah. was that they thought that they could justify the Federation's position. That the underpinning of Star Trek is the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. And that 600 people on a planet were much less important than the perhaps billions and billions of people that could be helped by this metaphasic radiation that stops aging. Now, I don't know that I necessarily buy that. I don't know that I necessarily don't buy it. But uh, it is the case that I think this movie is also hampered by the fact that and this is something that was crystallized for me watching Star Trek Insurrection this time because I had not seen it in its entirety in probably five or ten years and certainly hadn't paid this close attention to it in in a long time, that it's not a bad movie. I, I like it better than First Contact, actually, because it has something to say, but I'm not sure it knows what it wants to say. And it's also hampered by the fact that at this point in the franchise – it it was trying to serve too many masters. You you had, you know, the, because the Star Trek movies that were the best, you know, were the ones that took place years and years and years after the original series had been canceled. There was no real baggage. It was it, there, it was almost a tabula rasa in a way. And yeah, and and frankly, just seeing this cast on screen again was enough of a novelty that. You know, it's nice to see the old gang again. Uh, we had just ha- finished Next Generation. There was Star Trek on, so it's not f- even just fulfilling that little niche. Right, like, that's my problem is, like, I don't know why these movies exist. Mm. And and fundamentally, I don't know. Like, the, the Star Trek TOS movies make sense to me because that was a way for them to bring back Star Trek in a, in a way that was satisfying to fans and also made Paramount money. 
that's hard to do. These movies, it just seems like Paramount wanted to continue the movie franchise to hmm. make money, and I don't know why anyone would want these movies. And that's kind of the point. Like, there was already Star Trek. <laughs> you know, there was Deep Space Nine, and there was Voyager on at this point. And having these movies, a movie has to, you can't just appeal to the four or five million people a week that are watching Star Trek at this point to make a big budget action movie, right? You have to broaden that out and you have to bring in people that don't know anything about Star Trek. So you have to make a standalone story that is still fitting into the overall context of everything else that's going on in the Star Trek universe on the television shows. And that's just really hard to do. Yeah, I can't imagine... and. You can picture people saying like, oh man, you need to see Star Trek The Motion Picture. It's got all these really pretty spaceships on it. Or Wrath of Khan, it's got a really great villain and it's really exciting. You know, you, you could say this about a lot of the early, or The Voyage Home. Um, I can't see anybody saying, oh man, you need to go see Star Trek Insurrection. It's got, you know what I mean? Right. At least, you know, even about First Contact, I, again, I thought that, for example, the Borg sequences on the Enterprise were really scary as just a space sci-fi horror action movie it had some really good moments it, i mean that can recommend it even yeah and i mean we i mean we definitely had problems with with first contact which you know go back and listen to our podcast on that we're not going to rehash it now but, but yeah I, I agree with you but i think that okay so so i asked you before uh, uh you know off mic if you noticed who wrote this movie and i'm going to blow your mind because it was michael pillar yeah okay but again, this feels like it's the it's a smoothed out draft of a better movie. Well, that's I think what really it comes down to is that Michael Pillar was not a screenwriter. Yeah, he was a television writer, and that's I think the other primary problem with the Star Trek TNG movies is that three of them were written by television writers, and you can definitely see that with Generations. You know, Brian and Bragg and Ronald D. Moore yeah. did not know what they were doing when they wrote Generations. Uh, Ronald D. Moore has gone on record as saying, like, he doesn't know why he wanted to kill Kirk so badly. <laughs> uh, he had some sort of, you know, he was like, says something about my psyche, et cetera, et cetera, which, okay, Ron Moore. Um, then with First Contact, they got a lot better at writing movies. Uh, it's still not a great movie, but it's certainly better than Generations. And now we get Insurrection, which was written by Michael Pillar, who, to my knowledge, had never written an actual screenplay. Yeah. So it does feel like a extended television episode in terms of yeah i mean when you think about the really good star trek movies wrath of khan voyage home uh what what is six called the undiscovered country undiscovered country yeah and i mean again even go with first contract they're bigger in scope they have more locations they feel more epic there's a reason i'm going into a theater this this feels of it's a very small location they're for the most part just in this this village and these caves around it it doesn't really have the i can't tell why there's the extra budget for the movie because it's not like they use that to make a really big thing this is not a big theatrical movie well and that part that partially does hurt it i think it was a cheap movie to make yeah it didn't have a big budget and I think that's a misconception on your part. Now, that- I, I, I guess what, what I'm saying, you know, movie budget versus TV budget, would this have had more of a budget than the than the two part episode of the TV series? Oh, well, yeah, undoubtedly. Yeah, so so, but I, think but I guess it's telling this. It's it's using its bigger budget 
slightly bigger budget to do not that much more than I don't, well, I, I don't, I, I don't want to go down a road of comparing television and movie budgets because they're doing very different things. And I guess what I'm saying this is, is it's not, not doing different things. This is not that yeah. much longer than an episode of the television show. This is the shortest of any of the yeah. Star Trek movies, and you know you have to keep in mind that. The, the movie had a budget of almost $60 million, but all of the special effects were new. They were yeah. all computer generated. Um, it had a lot more extras than the television show would ever have had. They were able to construct this like elaborate yeah. town set. They were able to do all this location shooting. And, you know, they were also able to extend the shoot over, you know, a movie shoot is, you know, 30 or 40 days. Whereas if they shot this as an episode of, or two episodes of the show, it would have been done in 12 days. Yeah. So, you know, yes, there's a, you know, and they would have been, I mean, the budget for, for two episodes of TNG was like two, two and a half million dollars. Mm. So, yeah, certainly that is the case. And but, it does look better. It's true. It's But for a movie, you know, and for a franchise that has brought Paramount so much money, they definitely were starving this movie of money. Yeah. It was definite. I think it was one of the lowest budgets of any of the Star Trek movies. So maybe the fact that it does feel like a large episode of TV then is a function of that. Then I mean, they were using the cave set from DS Nine yeah. that they had, you know, uh, pro- you know, uh, brought over from from TNG. You know, they did build a new cave set, which they later used for the fire caves and what oh. you leave behind. So that's kind of interesting. But yeah, it just. It, it doesn't work because primarily the the scope of the movie just feels off. Yeah. And I don't know what they were trying to do with this movie, which yeah. is the real problem. Well, I guess – I don't know. See, see, the point that I kind of most want to talk about, I guess, is starting with that needs of the many, needs of the few thing. Uh, because I think my refutation of that goes back to the measure of a man, where data isn't objecting to the scientist, uh, you know, performing this experiment. He's specifically objecting because he doesn't feel that the risks out. He feels that the risks outweigh the reward. That this experiment has a great risk of damaging him greatly, and that he's he hasn't demonstrated that he's going to learn what he wants to now and he very much ends that episode by saying if you revise your experiment plan if you can make it safer if you can you know demonstrate that it's going to you know a lot of good is coming out of this i'll be very happy to l- listen from that i guess i don't buy i don't trust the sona and i don't buy that their experiment is really going to work and i don't believe that it's really going to help the federation and they're not just simply relocating people they are condemning these people to die they are completely uprooting their lifestyle which is based around um their their effective immortality so i i guess you know that the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few well how you haven't proven the case that this is actually going to help the many i I, I think so. I mean, I, I kind of agree with that, but I, I do think that, you know, just in terms of the movie itself, I think you kind of need to just go with the idea that their experiment is going to work because otherwise the entire underpinning for the movie completely collapses. And that could be, that definitely could be an yeah. interesting movie. Do we trust these people? Do we not trust these people? Is this actually going to work or not? But that's not the movie that they're. That's not the movie they made. Which is why and, I think the movie is kind of crappy because, again, they didn't – and and the movie itself didn't sell it to me. Well, yeah, that's definitely a, a true point. That I mean the movie has a lot of weird plot holes and it elides a lot of stuff that doesn't really make any sense. But 
I will say that, you know, I don't know that I necessarily buy the belief on some people's part that they think that it probably wasn't the right approach for the movie to take Picard and the rest of the crew to save the the Baku. You know, I don't know. I, I think that if we accepted face value that the Sona experiment was going to work and that whatever they were going to do, and it, it's true. Yeah. Part of the problem with the movie is that I don't know what they're trying to do. Yeah. Like, yes, okay, there's some metaphysic radiation that's coming off of the rings of this planet yeah, that they... is continually rejuvenating the, the, the Baku. Okay, I'll buy that. And they're going to use it into, they're going to be able to turn that into an, a fountain of youth beam. But what is somehow. that? But what, but what is that going to do? Like, it's not going to keep billions and billions of people alive in the Federation no. forever. And I, so yeah. what exactly are they trying to do? I don't know. See, this is, and, and, and I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that the Admiral in this movie is barely an entity in, in, in this. He doesn't really give any real motivations. He Compare this to somebody like Admiral Ross, which, yes, DS9 has much more of a... You mean Admiral Beardy? The, the guy in the movie? That's what I call him. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, obviously Admiral Ross has a lot more episodes. We get to know him, but... We, you know, th- think about the one from Paradise Lost and Homefront. He's only in those two episodes, he, and yet he does something extreme, and I can buy that he believes he's doing the right thing. We can agree that you know, his actions to create this coup in order to protect the Federation from the Dominion, again, that's the wrong thing to do, but we can, ass- you know, the price is too high, but at the same time, he is acting out of good for the Federation, and I buy that. Ross helping out uh, Section Thirty One in the episode with with um you know where they discredit Kretak and they get their guy onto uh you know who's working for the Federation that I buy that I buy he's doing something that's beyond the pale to a you know to a ally and yet he's doing it because that will they will still be able to have Romulus steered in a in a Federation friendly direction the the uh. Decisions that Ben Sisko makes in In the Pale Moonlight, Beyond the Pale, and yet they are done out of necessity to get the Romulans in this alliance. Uh, Section 31, creating this poison in order to kill the Dominion. All right, you know, they feel there's an enemy that's unstoppable and they can only kill. This Admiral Beardy somehow thinks that they're going to create the Fountain of Youth. Like, compared to all of that, it's really kind of silly. Well, I mean, it it, it could have not been that. Yeah. And I think that's the primary problem with it is that... Again, I don't know what they're trying to do. And they could make it clear that what they're trying to do is come up with some sort of life-extending treatment that is going to keep mm-hmm. people alive for an extra 100 years or something like that. Okay, fine. Or or maybe it's going to uh, uh, be used as, as, as some sort of like universal treatment for all disease or something like yeah. that. I, I could buy that. I But I don't know what they're trying to do. And it makes the Federation out to be... Uh, uh, naive because yeah. they're not doing their due diligence, and it also makes the the Sona out to be these sort of like uh, uh, just in, insanely competent, yeah, villains that they're not. And we learn at the end that there's a very few number, few there are very few of them because they're this offshoot of a of a planet of six hundred. And till that point, I thought they were an entire planet's worth of people. Well, that's the other problem yeah. with the movie, and this is a side issue, but because there's a lot of problems with the movie, yeah. but. Like, how did a planet, how did, like, a, a group of four people yeah. conquer two entire other species? How have they, 
constructed this in some sort of shell game to make it appear that the Sona have some sort of empire. What what exactly are they doing? And how did the Federation fall in with these people? They're making Ketracel white? Yeah. Like, what? See, I think actually the Ketracel white in this movie is a very throwaway line. They just say Riker saying, oh, they, they create the narcotic Ketracel white. And that's it. And this is where I say that if they were able to give more of a direct tie to DS9, the movie would have made more sense. Ketracel White is not just a narcotic. It's not space heroin. It is specifically the drug that the, the Dominion use in order to keep the Gem Hadar in line. So why are these people making this drug? Obviously, they have some sort of agreement with the Dominion. I don't buy that the Sona are dumb enough to believe – You know, I, I, I think they have enough of their own agenda that they're not going to want to completely – join with the Dominion, and I believe that they're small enough that maybe at this point the Dominion are willing to use them as a contractor. So, okay, we need some Ketracel White. You're able to, you know, so they have an arrangement. I feel like this is, feel. I can picture if that arrangement exists, the Federation is going to find some way of contacting the Sona and saying, you know, you're supplying our enemies with something. What do you want? How do we get you to join up with us? So first of all, the Sona are going to want Federation protection. All right, fine. Number two, they see the Federation is going to give them an opportunity to get what they've been wanting this entire time, the planet. All right, we'll stop making Ketracel white. We want to destroy this planet. You're going to help us. And then the Federation's presence on this mission is not necessarily to help them, but to rein the Sona in. In other words, the so you know we're going to help you. We're going to give you the technology to relocate them without them even feeling it. We're going to make sure that your experiment works right, you know. And so the admiral is saying, you know, we could, I, you know, either these these people are going to attack the Baku planet no matter what. They're going to harvest this metaphasic radiation no matter what, and they're going to work with the Dominion no matter what. And once they've got this metaphasic radiation, then the Dominion is going to want to make another arrangement along those lines. We want to stop that, and so we're going to let them, we're going to escort them, let them get what they want, but no further. That not only makes the Federation not the bad guys who are, you know, relocating these people, but they're actually just mitigating any damage, and that's a much more Federation-style motivation as far as I'm concerned. But is that a good movie? Well, no, I'm not sure if you, uh, if, I, I mean, like, to I, me it is, I, I, but I, I like cerebral shit. Right, but it seems very inside baseball for, yes. for an action movie. And, and, I, and that's exactly why they didn't do that and why they gave it so much of a similar motivation. Yeah, like I – part of the problem with, I think, you know, the Star Trek movies in general, as I said before, is they're trying to serve two very yes. different masters. and going completely in the opposite direction and making it like this extremely inside baseball story mm -hmm. about the Federation, I think would have been the wrong way to go. I, I don't, I think that this movie is very confused. I don't necessarily think it knows what it's trying to say. Yeah. I, I wonder if, again, I think that if you take the, 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 what the Sona are trying to do at face value, and it's obviously trying to say something about the Federation's willingness to, do some relatively yeah. shady things in the pursuit of helping billions and billions of people. I, I, I don't know that I, I don't know that I disagree that relocating them is the wrong thing to do. Well, let me ask, how do you feel about the Dakota access pipeline? Cause that's what this movie is kind of about. Well, yeah, but that's a little different though. I mean, you're right. It's good. What's different about it? They're 
you know, they are going to do something which is going to catastrophically destroy the environment in order to help people make a profit, do something that's good, you know, in order for a small group to make their own goals at the expense I, of these people. I, I mean, I think if you, well, it's partly the problem with that analogy is that I don't know what they're trying to do. Yeah. And if I, I mean, the only way that I can, that I can sort of square the circle for myself is that they are trying to use the metaphysic radiation to come up with some sort of universal disease, you know, universal disease mm-hmm. cure. And if that's what they're trying to do, then yeah, they absolutely should move them. But, but, but let me ask you, where is universal disease cure as opposed to where the Federation is now? I mean, if we're talking about you're going to get a new universal disease cure that's cheap and free in 2017, yes, that's a very different – but that's a very different story than where Federation medical technology is now. I mean, um, certainly – Well, I, I don't know about that because I, I mean I'm, I don't necessarily – you know, want to go down a long road of talking about this because the movie doesn't actually say any of this. But I think that if they do come up with a universal disease cure from this metaphysic radiation, that's a big fucking deal because that means that we already seen a lot of diseases that the Federation can't cure. Yeah. And we've already seen a lot of diseases that they have to take a lot of resources to try and cure. No. And they also have a lot of undiscovered diseases that are not, uh, 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 you know, even known to the Federation right now that they're going to have to use a lot of resources to cure. Yeah. So if, they come gonna... up, so if they come up with some sort of universal vaccine that they give every member of the Federation and no one ever gets sick again. Yeah. I think that that's a big deal. I still don't feel like, the, but again, let's go with Picard's statement of how many people is too many. I don't know. I think the, I think the answer is, I don't know what that number is, but it's certainly not 600. Interesting. Uh, yeah. I, I, I'm with the mo- I see. I, 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 I'm with the, I'm like, like, I think if you could come up with a universal vaccine for all diseases that you give everyone in the Federation and no one in the Federation ever gets sick again, I think it's worth murdering 600 people. I'm sorry. I do. Okay. But again, and the other thing is that the movie did not sell that enough to me. The only people. Oh, I agree with you. Yeah. And I guess that, I guess that's the, that's the other side of it. It is making a, if, if we had Dr. Crusher, for example, go and say, you know, I've looked at it, and and they're right. You know, if this metaphasic radiation, it would be it, it'll cure the quickening. It'll fix everything that's ever happened. Nobody's ever going to die again. You know, hooray! If if somebody that we actually trusted said that and believed that and said yeah. and said <laughs> I ran all the you know, if Doctor Bashir looks at this and says I've done every single possible permutation, the only way that this could be studied properly is if we harvest this. That's another story. But again, given that it's you know. Mr. Facelift and Admiral Beardy. I, well, I actually think that's a really, really good point because it would give Gates McFadden something to fucking do <laughs> yes. in this movie besides talk about how firm her tits are. No, her fir- I, her firm her boobs are. The first when they said the line, I'm like, all right, I I'm just gonna pretend that I misheard that because there is no way that, the, you know, somebody actually wrote that line and actually told Gates McFadden to say it and she said it. Like, that didn't happen. Well, wait. Did or, or Marina Sirtis, I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, Marina Sirtis said that, yeah. Either way. And and then, you know, data comes up and, and I had to pay attention to that fucking line. Right, yeah. That that um is is probably one of the low points of the entire Star Trek franchise. I, I mean, we'll, <laughs> we'll definitely talk about, you know, more of the problems and, and sort of the, the ways in which this movie um, gets the characters wrong. But but maybe to maybe to sum this part of the conversation up, we can certainly disagree about whether or not it's, yeah. it's moral or right to to move the Baku from this planet. 
But I think we can both agree that whatever side of that argument you come down, this movie does not give us enough context yeah. or information to make that decision. Yes, it's true. Again, if they were able to sell me that, you know, this this plan is exactly how it is, but I can't again, the 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 sonar creepy and the beardy guy has no character, so I don't trust the side that. And so, of course, I'm going to be on the side of Picard and everybody on the Enterprise because they're our guys. You know, they're the people that we've spent seven years. The one's played by Patrick Stewart. Like, you know, there is no way that I'm going to, you know, w- w- which side am I? I'm obviously on this side. And and that's a problem. No, I'm on the Sona side. Well, that's fine. I don't like any of the TNG people in this movie. I think Picard That's, is ridiculous. No, you're right. I think the data is ridiculous. I, you know, I, I just... I, I And you're right. I, it's less the TNG characters as in I know these actors. That's They seem to... They, they're vaguely like people that I used to know. They're, they are different. It's true. And the movie doesn't sell enough that... It's the youthing rays making this happen. I think what it really comes down to for me, the fundamental problem with this movie is that it insults my intelligence. Mm. You know, it doesn't give me any explanation for what's going on. It's just like, hey, let's have a fun ride, guys. And you know what? There's a way to have a fun ride and still have it make sense. And this movie does not do that. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think of even sequences that I'm like, oh, that was exciting or that part was very funny. I mean, and I'm thinking of like the fucking HMS Pinafore scene, which just goes on or like, you know, time is slowing because Picard's in love or there's that vague and sorry, Jonathan Frakes, poorly directed scenes of them running from the, you know, the action scenes when they're running to and through the caves are not really exciting and i don't really know slash care what's going on yeah i don't care either i mean because you know that they're going to stay there i yeah. mean they're not going to be murdered or something i mean there's just there's no it, that's the thing like, it's there's the no, short yeah you know it's a star trek movie so there's no real stakes here because you know that the baku are going to be fine yeah and it's a and also why the fuck are the baku so white <sighs> well there's that's another thing <laughs> like i mean you know let let's be like real here like the movie has problems it definitely has problems well i want to talk about data though because um okay the movie well the characters in general i think that the movie does a better job of giving the vast majority of the extended cast something to do Mm -hmm. i think that in general um i'm not a huge fan of patrick stewart's demands that he be like this sexy action hero uh he did oh yeah (laughs) i i find I find his insistence that Picard needs to be a sexy action hero to be one of the worst things that he probably ever did okay, to that character. Yeah, that no, that that I um, didn't know that, and now that makes me feel really grossed out. As it's something that he had been talking about for years, huh. even on TNG. Like that's why we got episodes like Starship Mine and Captain's Holiday because he was like, I want to see the captain fucking and fighting more. Um. Like, I, you know, you could certainly see, like, oh, I'd love to do an action episode here, or, like, I'd like to, you know, the character to have a romance, just to do something different, sure, but... But let's be realistic. Yeah. This is, like, a 65-year-old man mm-hmm. who is climbing up in a, a giant spaceship. It's just, you know, come on, guys. Like, this is not something that we should be watching. And it's, like, why the fourth Indiana Jones movie didn't work, because... He's fucking 80 years old. You know, it just doesn't work. And besides this, I mean, Kirk or Picard is one of the great, you know, science fiction questions. And it's one of the great science fiction questions because both are very different characters. And 
you know, being the sexy action hero is Kirk's thing. Like, Picard has his own thing. Picard's the more intellectual diplomatic hero, and the more he's right. more cultured. He's more erudite. He's not, you know, he's not unwilling to have a fight when it needs to happen, and he is, but, uh, you know, that that... You can see Captain Kirk in this movie more. This movie may – this frankly would have been a better movie with the original series cast. Oh, I definitely think that's true. I mean I'm not against giving Picard a love interest. No. I, I, I think that that was certainly done very well in uh, – the name of the episode is Escaping Me. Uh, but the woman and the flute and they were playing – you know, they were playing the music together in the Jeffries too. Where he has to um, – was that at the end make – you know, make order her to – Right. Her, yes. Yeah. And, well, she doesn't die, but no, um, yeah, that yeah. would be a little too dark for <laughs> TNG. But, yeah, that, that's certainly the case. And I think that there are ways to give Picard a love interest yeah. that, that feel earned. And I don't really have a problem with the love story in this episode. No. In this episode, in this movie. Yeah. I, I think it's I think it's fine. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm not straight, but she seems like a fine lady. Yeah. And I'm sure, sure she's good in bed and knows what to do with a dick. So, great. I think the um, actors did well, you know, as far as... Having chemistry together, sure, fine. Sure. Yeah, you know, and all right, you know. But I don't know if the movie. See, this is what's weird to me is that I keep coming back to what the movies have done to the character of Data. Yeah. Data is one of my favorite characters in all of Star Trek. He is, well, you know, until the movies. And and the movies almost completely destroy his character. Yeah. And, and, I want to give the movie credit for making some good decisions, uh, chiefly among them sidelining the emotion chip for the entirety yeah. of the movie and, and basically just saying, I didn't bring it with him. <laughs> okay. Like it, it's the movie actively recognizing that this is a bad idea. This was a bad idea. And the only, I mean, the only reason it's ever mentioned is to take care of that one guy who was like, but the emotion chip, because but, everybody else was willing to forget about it. But here's my problem with that. They still write lines for data <laughs> that are opportunities for Brent Spiner to mug to the camera as if he still has the emotion chip in. And also, it goes down the road of turning Data into a one-line joke machine. Yeah. I In the case of a water landing, I'm a flotation device. The flotation device line, <laughs> the line where he asks Worf or Riker. I don't even remember. I think it was Worf. Sure, it was Worf. Why not? If his boobs are... Yeah. Have you noticed your boobs are firmer? Uh, there's just all kinds of lines like that in this movie that are terrible. I, I think that Data is probably the closest to the character that... I know and love from the television show in this movie. I think that he is treated mostly with respect, but sometimes not. I think these the sex, his interactions with the kid, for example, those felt like data. Right, yeah. That felt like data. I liked all yeah. that stuff. I felt like that was really well done and really well earned. I think that the whole through line of that child being scared of data and then coming around to yeah. him at the very end and they're playing at the very end was very nice. And I want more of that. I just wonder why these movies felt like, I don't know if it was a directive from the studio or Rick Berman or whoever that they needed to have some humor to leaven, mm. you know, to, to, to leaven this, this movie or these movies in general. But come on, guys. TNG, TNG was not funny. <laughs> TNG was not good at comedy. And when TNG did comedy, it was usually pretty terrible. Mm. So why are you insisting on doing this? I, I One of the other low points of the franchise is the fucking joystick. How do you, oh, ma God. How do you manually fly 
a gigantic <sighs> star. How how does that even happen? How does that make any sense whatsoever? It's things like that where it's obviously there for people that are not Star Trek fans, but do people that are not Star Trek fans like that stuff anyway? And if it wasn't there, would they care? Yeah. And then, you know, uh, well, still while we're in the subject of nitpicking, Jordy's eyes. They had no fucking idea where to put that plot line because I don't even remember him getting them. You know, there's all this stuff about, you know, Jordy you know, doesn't necessarily... Well, he know. had them in first contact. I don't... Yeah, and I didn't remember him getting them, you know, and... Well, he never got them. Okay, that was a... He just had them. But why did they even have them and now that he doesn't have them? And, you know, it, obviously they didn't plan for him to lose them in the next movie and have the two. It's just, I mean, that seems like it was almost based on LeVar Burton hated wearing the contacts. So they had to, because this was an artifact from the previous movie, they had to figure out some way of. I'm not quite sure what you're referring to. He, he loses his, he has his eye implants at the beginning of the movie and then they get regenerated out of him. Yeah. And then he's just using his normal eyes. Right. Yeah, I, I I guess it's another thing of we go from he has the visor and he prefers the visor to now he has eye implants and now he doesn't have eye implants. And I don't know, it just seems it's going along with this movie's tone of everything's all over the place again, I think. I don't know. I like that huh. for Jordy. Okay. I, I thought it was one of the nice things about the movie is that it actually gave Jordy a, a, an emotional storyline. Okay. I mean, certainly it was small, but I, I, I don't know. I don't really have a problem with that. I mean, I Jordy, Jordy, <laughs> LeVar Burton was has famously gone on record as saying that he really hated wearing the visor yeah. because it, his his eyes. Are, he's a very expressive actor with his eyes. He hated having covering having them covered up for seven years, and you know when the opportunity was was given him in First Contact to. Okay. Uh, make him have a little bit of a different look and give him these eye implants instead of the visor. He went for it. Okay. Um, and I think that the idea to then have his eyes regenerate based on the metaphysic radiation, I don't know. I liked it. I thought it was a nice little moment for him. Okay. I don't really have a problem with it. All right. You're ba- buying, you're selling it a little. Good. I'm Why didn't uh, Picard's heart grow back? That is a good question. Thank you. I do not have an answer for you. <laughs> Can can we talk for a minute about how how shabbily the the women characters are treated oh in these God. movies? Oh my God! Marina Sirtis has two plot lines in this movie. Yeah, the first one is going back to fucking Riker. Fine, whatever. The second one is talking to Gates McFadden about how her her tits are. Um, this is highly offensive, like, and the. And what is this? And slightly, the only closest thing she has to doing her job is at the beginning when they have this delegation. We, we you know, the, the, the entire beginning of the movie when they have this delegation from this other planet, which has nothing to do with anything, but you know, where she begin, you know, she realizes that she fucked up and didn't realize that they're vegetarian. And oh no, and y- yeah, that that's that's Marina Sirtis in this movie. Did we really need to see her and Riker taking a bath? Um. Did we really need to see this movie? I think it's interesting that Riker growing the beard is generally, you know, growing the beard is slang for a TV show coming into its own and finally clicking because that happened around the time that TNG found its voice. Uh, And it's interesting that as it's unraveling, Riker shaves his beard. Yeah, I mean that, yeah. that that that's that has to be a little more than a coincidence. I don't know, but I, I think that um the the characters are not very well served generally in this mm. movie. And 
the only characters that I think are really, you know, pretty decent are, are Jordy, um, and, and Riker, I guess. Uh, Picard is fine. Um, you know, Troy is generally terrible in this movie, hmm. not, not because of her performance or the way that she's acting, but just because they're not yeah. giving her anything interesting to do. They basically give Gates McFadden nothing to do in this movie. And if she was not in the movie, I wouldn't yeah. even have noticed. Um, she wh- scans a couple of things and gives an injection. That's right. about her plot. I think what's real worth coming to the movie is, I think what really gets me about insurrection is that, you know, it's, I don't think it's terrible. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's well constructed. It's hard is in the right place. It, it's never boring. But it's just insulting my intelligence. It is not doing the necessary work to justify any mm. of what's going on. And it wants you to just, it, it simultaneously wants to tell a very, very deep Star Trek story and also be a brainless movie that you can just yeah. turn, your, turn your brain off and watch. And those two things are fundamentally opposed. Uh, and y- it's not doing a good job at resolving that. Yeah, you're, you're right. It's, not, it, it, it's this weird in-between place. It doesn't know if its audience is TNG fans or people who are watching DS9 or people who are watching Voyager or people who just want to sit in an air-conditioned room for two hours. There were no DS9 fans at this point, so (laughs) that was not been a uh, a consideration. But yeah, like this is – it's not sure what tone of Star Trek it is. It almost doesn't entirely know what Star Trek's tone is. It's it's not tone-deaf about it. I don't think it's the J.J. Abrams track, but it's it's, – I guess – I can see the through line of where Abrams' Trek came from eventually. And just to be clear, uh, uh, Richard has seen the first Abrams' Star Trek. Yeah. He has not seen any of the other ones. Which will tell you what I thought about the... <laughs> I, I, I mean, I agree with you. I, I, I don't know... I don't really know what happened here. Like, I, I, Michael Piller was a fine writer. Michael Piller was a fine showrunner. Yeah. Uh, what happened here I, I really cannot tell you Maybe. I, I i just really fundamentally think that uh this movie was trying to serve too many masters and did not do a good job at, at resolving any of them and it feels like a movie that didn't make any choices hmm. is really what it comes down to for me you know it, it it tried to be funny it tried to be lighthearted. it tried to be serious it tried to be thought-provoking it tried to be an action movie it was trying. It was trying to be a character movie. It was trying to do so many different things and not doing any of them well, and not integrating any of them well. I get. You know, in some ways, if this this feels of a piece with Time's Arrow of all things, in that mm. it's not that great. It had some amusing moments, but I don't really resent Time's Arrow's existence because it's two episodes of a TV series. It's two and episodes of 178. It had, you know, at the very least, I get to see, you know, someone dressed as Mark Twain mugging and, you know, all these, uh, you know, and you get to see Whoopi Goldberg in an old timey dress. And it's, 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 it's a different set and it's exciting enough. I didn't make a special trip to the theater and pay 1350 to see this. Yeah. Well, it wasn't 1350. But you know what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah, like just the, again, by virtue, if, uh, if if this had been the season, you know, if we had had this split into two episodes instead of Descent, for example, 
I think, you know, and pretty much this exact movie, if it was just well, at the halfway point, it would have been so much better. It would have played better because, again, it's just a TV thing. The fact that it is a movie and not good enough to be a movie, but, be, you know, yeah, it, it, it's just it's almost an uncanny valley thing. It's good enough to be shitty. I Yeah, that's certainly true. I mean, I do think that in general, if this had been a two-parter or a season-ending cliffhanger episode of the of the series i think it probably would have been better because it would not have been trying to hit so many different tones to hit so many different things to hit so many different areas that obviously paramount or rick berman or whoever uh wanted to hit and you know when you have a movie that comes out once every two years or once every three years as the star trek movies traditionally did you go to the movie theater and you get get excited to watch something and you get this. Yeah. You know, it's not, it's again, it's not terrible. You know, it's, it's competently done. It's certainly shot. Well, it looks good. It's written. Okay. The, 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 the structure of the plot and the script makes sense. All the act structures make sense. I think the breaks make sense. You know, the, the character motivations, don't make sense but that's just a problem with the movies in general uh but it just none of it really gels together because it just feels like too many hands are in the pot and i don't know if that's true i mean you know movies go through drafts and it i i don't think it's incidental at this point that rick berman got a story credit Mm -hmm. like you know it's things like that that as we go down the road of talking about Voyager and especially Enterprise, as Rick Berman got more involved in the creative side of things, I, I don't know that his instincts were very good. Uh, I also think that one of the episodes of the one episode of TNG that he wrote was was perhaps not great. Which one was that? Uh, I think it was Brothers. Mm. So that's also something to think about as well. Yeah, I, I was going to say it does seem like a. I mean, again, this this movie suggested a lot, a, a much better earlier draft. I can see a version of this movie which didn't have the Troy and Riker subplot and, uh, you know, Rick Berman looking and saying, well, this needs to be sexier, you know, let's get, you know, put that, give them a romance plot. You know, I... Like, that kind of stuff. I can see your point, but I don't, you know, it's funny, like, as discrete entities, I don't necessarily mind a lot of what they did. I, I, I think that if you look at this as a check-in with these characters to see where they are every couple of years, I think I'm okay with that. I'm okay with some... Uh, you can change the status yeah. quo in oh, a movie yeah. because you don't have to deal with that on a day-to-day basis like you do in a television show. So if they want to change Jordy's eyes, if they want to get Riker and Troy back together, things of that nature, give Data the emotion chip, I don't think that's necessarily a bad choice, but you can't spend too much time on it. And you also need to have a good idea about what it means for these characters. And there would be a way to tell this story and be true to all of the characters and give little check-ins to them that felt earned and true. That wasn't this movie. Yeah. I keep going back to, you know, star Trek four. It simultaneously tells a very serious classic star Trek story while being really funny and fun. And you know what? You can turn your brain off and watch that movie and still get a really good time out of it. I don't know why they never tried to make that movie again. Yeah. They, they got, they get, I mean, you've seen, 
Yeah, why don't they just have the TNG crew travels to 1990s? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I could not tell you why. It's the most obvious. Yeah. Well, I do know why, but we'll get to that in a few years. I, or maybe not a few years, like maybe six months. Uh, I do think that, you know, you, you've seen all but one of the, let's call them original Star Trek movies now, mm. you know, and then you've got the reboot uh, uh, movies with, with JJ Abrams and then uh, Justin Lin. So we'll put those aside because that's a completely different creative team. It's a completely different outlook. It's completely different everything. Um, that was after Star Trek had the, the Star Trek yeah. machine that had been running for almost 20 years on the Paramount lot had been shut down. They got I, I, my impression of what has always gone on with the Star Trek movies is that they they took the wrong lessons from Wrath of Khan mm. and always put a villain into the movie. Always, always, always. Star Trek 3 had a villain. Star Trek 5 had a villain. Star Trek 6 had a villain. Star Trek 7 had a villain. Star Trek 8 had a mm. villain. Star Trek 9 had a villain. Star, you know, and, and so the only one that didn't have a villain was Star Trek 4. Yeah. And, and its villain is the probe, which is just more kind of an environmental force. Yeah. And so to me... I'm not necessarily saying I want them to to try and replicate the 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 beauty and joy and of of Star Trek Four, which is my favorite of all the movies, huh. but it just doesn't seem like they were taking the right lessons from this. Yeah, and even I guess in some ways, like Star Trek Three has a villain, but what I remember about that movie is the you know is, is Spock regenerating and going through his pond far and all of you know all of those interactions and the bits with Sarek and that. You know, the the villain, you know, kicks off the plot, but it's really about, you know, Spock's journey back. And, you know, Star Trek VI, the villain is very memorable and operatic and Shakespearean, but it's also used to underpin this, con- you know, the yeah. the the, uni- the unity between the Federation and, and the Klingons. This movie is all about, I'm a villain with a wacky scheme, stop me, which was the point of... You know, even the Borg, the Borg are a fine villain. They're very iconic, and I I liked the way they were used in First Contact. It was fine there, and that was also used to underpin the story of Zephram Cochran. Yeah. Then you have Generations, which the villain sucked, and it's just about seeing Shatner and Picard on screen. Yeah, yeah. And- so, yeah, not only – they can do a villain well. Wrath of Khan was obviously a well-done villain, but this is a shitty villain. Yeah, and I mean, I'm not even saying that F. Murray Abraham was a, was bad in this movie. No. I thought he did a fine job. His performance was great, but he's just hampered by the fact that it's, he's not an interesting character, yeah. and his motivations are not interesting. It's a case of the, I mean, it's a case of the actor transcending the role, but yes. at the same time, Khan was the actor transcending the role, and you had a good role to begin with. So he's so much more of a better villain. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that, and I, I, I think that you know. In general, uh, uh, the revelation at the end of the movie that the Baku and the Sona, the Sona were, were the children that left mm. because they didn't want to deal with the no technology restrictions and blah, blah, blah. You know, it, it, it does lend a certain air of pathos to the movie. It does lend a certain air of inevitability to the movie. But I don't know. I, I just I look at this movie and I say all of the parts were there. Yeah. But they just didn't come together. And. I certainly don't hate this movie. No. I I think it's probably my favorite of the TNG movies only because the older I get and the more time has passed, the, the more I hate First Contact. But it just really speaks to the fact that I don't think that TNG was, was equipped 
to be a movie franchise. I think I, I again, I feel like it could have been, but maybe just because it does have such a large cast. I mean, maybe that's that's the problem with it. You know, in the original series movies, you can keep it with. You know, Kirk is the very obvious lead, and then, you know, you have Spock as the secondary lead and McCoy as the other sidekick, and, and that's, you know, and that's well, if, if Scotty and Uhura and Chekhov only have scenes here and there, that's okay. Yeah. Um, here, because we spent so, so many years, you know, that, because we had Crusher episodes and we had good Troy episodes and we had, you know, and we... Well, we had one good Troy episode. Fair. <laughs> but we still did have Troy episodes in which she was a character vaguely and she vaguely did sure. have her... Yeah. The fact that it's in the movie and all of these movies so far have had Picard as their, the very obvious lead. Well, you know, why don't we have a movie that... Why isn't there a movie that has Dr. Crusher as the lead of it or or that has Riker even as the lead of it? You know, why isn't... If you want to ha- make him action movies, all right, we'll make Riker the protagonist of the movies then. I mean, there's so well, many— Well, I can tell you why they didn't do that. And I, it's, yeah, it's because a, Jonathan a, Frakes is directing. Well, no, it's a two-word answer, Patrick Stewart. Oh, that's fair too. You know, he would not have wanted that. Mm. He probably wouldn't have signed to do the movie. Interesting. So, you know, there's that as well. Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying that, you know, I'm not criticizing Patrick Stewart for that. No. That, a point of view or that outlook. I mean, he's looking out for the character. He is protecting yeah. what he sees as his, you know, Star Trek legacy, and that's fine. Uh, I'm just saying that sometimes what actors want and what <laughs> is in the interest of good storytelling are at odds. Yeah. Now uh, we should wrap this up, but the the final thing that I want to talk about is, you know, we we wrapped up uh, what you leave behind the series finale of, of DS9 last week in an epic, uh, one hour and forty minute podcast. And uh, I, and that again, that is part of it too. We just came off of watching what you leave behind, and now we have this. Right. So it it was a very bland taste comparatively. Absolutely. So Voyager should be awesome. <laughs> well, my my question for you is: This movie came out in December of 1998, so it was kind of halfway between the the last season of DS9. So you can kind of put. The, the, where the yeah. Dominion War was in context when this movie came out. We're not quite at the final arc, but we're, in a, we're a few episodes from that. Yeah. Right. So, so my question for you is a very simple one. Do you think that the way the Dominion War is portrayed or presented in this movie is consistent with the way it was portrayed and presented in DS9? I mean, Deanna Troy is not in this movie at all aware of the fact that her home planet has been taken over by the Dominion at this point. Yes. I mean, Picard has that line, oh, we used to be explorers and now we negotiate with the Dominion. And I'm like, dude, do you realize how bad this war is? Like, oh my God, that's, that comes off as a very also, insensitive statement. They weren't negotiating with the Dominion at this point? <laughs> I know. Like, and yeah. They, they, I, I think it's hampered by the fact that they didn't quite know where the storyline was going to be at this point. Because of course... This movie was shot months and months yeah. and months before it was out. It was written even, you know, uh, 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 written yeah. even before before it was shot. So, you know, the final script might have been, you know, in January of '98 or something. Yeah, it feels like they're still at the point. Bef- you know, it 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 this if this movie came, I was surprised to hear it came in the seventh season because I thought it was more of a case of. This is right before the war actually right. starts. It seemed like this is the point where they know war is inevitable, but they're still trying. And then that's, you know, Picard's thing. Oh, we used to be explorers. I, I guess you can make an argument that that's the case because 
I don't think there's a star date in this episode, so you could sort of yeah you know, fit it fan in. in a way that it does happen before the war actually broke out or the shooting war actually broke out. But they do have that line that the Dominion War. Yeah. So yeah. I, I just you know, and I I don't know what the right answer is because I feel like if they had just avoided the question entirely and not mentioned it at all, it also would not have felt very good. So I, I just I don't know that there was yeah. a good way to do it. I mean, I guess you know one of the I'm thinking of the one line that um, – what's his name? That F. Mary Abraham said where he's like, you know, the Borg is attacking, the Minion is attacking. Everyone's starting to smell the scent of death on the Federation. That's a very shocking and large line like, okay, maybe this is – you know, it, 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 DS9 was all about how far can the Federation go, keep its soul, and still go against its very antithesis and – this movie is making the beginnings of the overtures to suggest maybe the Federation's time is coming, and it, yet it doesn't – it's not willing to go there. Right. You know that nobody is going to actually go there. Right, yeah. And, and it also feels a little churlish. I mean, honestly, because mm. it's kind of like who who is Star Trek Insurrection to blast in – and, you know, try and lay claim to the groundwork that DS9 has been doing for seven years. Yes. That's also part of it, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So – I guess this, you know, this is not a movie that anybody saw and said, oh, man, I want to see this again. You know, I guess that's how I feel. I think that's I think that's right. And I I think that's probably a good place to leave it. Yes, let's leave this. (laughs) All right. Well, if you have any thoughts on Star Trek Insurrection, please leave a comment on the post for this episode of Trek About at TrekAboutShow.com. You can check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash TrekAboutShow. Uh, where we also have another podcast tuning in. Uh, we are doing the X-Files. It is the second week of the X-Files, the second week of 400 weeks of the X-Files. <laughs> uh, we're talking about the X-Files episodes Squeeze and Conduit, so you won't want to miss that. Patreon.com slash show again, is that URL. We're on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Show is our username in all those places. And as always, please leave us an iTunes review for Trek About. It is the best way for new fans to find the show. And Richard, we have two new reviews to what? read. Wow. I've been a little remiss in checking them. So these are a couple weeks old, but still, you know. So the first one comes from uh, EKDGFQABF semicolon QHS. And I'm not making that up. I think that person fell asleep on their keyboard while they were making their iTunes. Oh, my God, they're a cat. Or they're a cat, which is possible. Uh, He or she says, this is my favorite Trek podcast. The hosts are fun and entertaining without being overbearing or annoying. It's true. Is it true? I feel like sometimes I'm a little annoying (laughs) overbearing. I tried most of the other Trek podcasts before landing on Trek About, and since then I've been blowing through older episodes to catch up. Good banter, great discussion. Thank you very much. You get the Trekabout seal of approval for that review, which is something I just made up. So I don't know what it means, but... It's a seal of approval. Congratulations. And our second review is from Vermont Trekkie. I'm going to assume that they live in Montpelier. No. (laughs) I'm from Delaware. Oh, do you know them? Is it your mom? Yes, I know everybody that lives in Delaware. Well, there's like 24 people, and that's it. There's almost a million people. Thank you very much. 
Vermont Trekkie says, I found this podcast quite recently. I'm back in school this semester, and the resulting lack of free time has meant giving up my evening Star Trek time. Oh, that's sad. Oh, no. To fill the void in my life. And what a time for an American to lose the free time they once devoted to hopeful views of the future, huh? I went looking for a podcast so I could get some Star Trek into my commuting time. Enter Trek about. That's us. Oh, should we said that in like unison? Uh, no. Driving to and from campus is now the best part of my day. Oh. The hosts are smart, thoughtful, and funny, and their dynamic is great. Most track podcasts are focused on TNG, so it's especially nice to find such a detailed, thoughtful treatment of DS9. Yes. I can't wait to hear them take on Voyager. I can't wait. Which is a good segue into next week, <gasps> because next week we finally... Finally, finally, meet Tuvok. Oh, my God. We are going to be talking about the Star Trek Voyager pilot, Caretaker, (gasps) and we are starting our Star Trek Voyager journey. I hope Richard is ready. He may start drinking while we record the podcast. I can't wait for Tuvok. And it's also going to be a little strange because we're going back to 1995. Oh, wow. I was 12. So we'll see you next week for Caretaker.